0: Welcome to the DOS Champions podcast. It is September 28th. We are officially in fall. Um, we had an interesting exchange with uh, Alexi Lawless today. He, uh, The subject of promotion and relegation in the MLS has been a hot subject as of late, or at least it's been a hot subject in my mind. I don't know if many other people feel that way, but it got brought forward and Alexi asked what would be the reason for the owners of MLS clubs to actually go through with this move and how would how and why should somebody facilitate that move so instead of giving uh you know a limited text answer on twitter that should represent an entire business model we decided that we would actually do a pod specifically um about why the mls should consider a promotion relegation model so that's the subject of conversation for today i am joined by my good man the ever knowledgeable the avatite ryan tooney ryan how the hell is the week treating you
1: Oh, it's going all right thus far um yeah you give me high praise uh but yeah i would like to mention that promotion to motion i'm fairly certain has been a contentious topic for MLS since basically its inception uh you know we'll get to we'll get into all the goods here but yeah week's been good uh i'm excited to talk about this a little bit um yeah i mean Where do you want to start off here?
0: I think uh, the logical spot to start off first, I think the admission that it's a contentious topic is a good admission to have in that um, in the context of this conversation, we certainly want to talk about what the fans are interested in, um, why fans are disengaging, um, but also like why this should be of interest to the owners of the club. But I think a good place to start is actually a Deloitte study from 2016. Um, the short of it is that Deloitte launched a study in 2016 that uh, highlighted why U.S. soccer could benefit from a promotion relegation um, league league structure. And some of the topics that they highlighted were that um, the EPL has that structure and it hasn't deterred uh investors in the us who have enough nickel and dime to rub together to promote to buy a club like liverpool from purchasing those clubs but the fact that deloitte is doing research on this subject and has presented it as um an option for mls mls teams to consider i think is is substance alone or uh evidence alone to think that this isn't a totally off key to contemplate
1: yeah uh definitely reputable place for these type of studies.
0: It, from what I understand, Deloitte does does get involved in sports leagues, but is very particular about which organizations they decide to involve themselves with. And um a lot of that has to do with like the way that clubs decide to spend money. And so um I think a good starting off point is that is is just like our statement. We believe that Um, the owners of MLS clubs would be making the right decision to create a promotion and demotion league. And the reason why is because it would create more competitiveness in the league, attract better talent, drive TV ratings, create better uh, talent in homegrown systems that will allow for revenues to be generated through transfers. More or less, the idea is that you want to replicate what big market teams are doing. And the most successful Markets in soccer are the ones that have a promotion and relegation system. And a lot of that ties into how it appeals to the domestic fan base and your ability to capture market share. And then also how you can develop the talent internally, make the league more appealing to foreign talent that might be considering do I go to the Dutch league or do I go to the MLS? Um, and also, like how you would uh, facilitate transfers and drive revenues off of transfers through better youth systems. So, our position is that they should do it. It makes sense, S E N S E and sense C E N T S. Um, but without further ado, I'm gonna dr- I'm gonna dive into some of the financials of organizations today, just so everyone can have a flavor of how teams operate. So we'll start with the Chicago Fire. The Chicago Fire did 77 million in revenue last year, and um, they've had no employee growth since 2018. According to Chicago Cranes, the Chicago Fire were not a profitable organization. The owner of the Chicago Fire is Joe Mansueto. Uh, he founded Morningstar Consulting. It's a financial services firm with about 29% um, employee growth over the last two years. It's valued at $1.2 billion. He also owns Inc. He also owns Fast Company. He also owns FC Lugano, which is a Swiss Super League. He purchased it in 2021 and. um it's by many consider, considered to be the sister club to the MLS. So when the MLS or uh, to the Chicago Fire, so when the Chicago Fire produce talent, they'll transfer talent over to FC Lugano, um,
1: or have some sort of exchange. Yeah. In place. Yeah, it, it reminds
0: smart. yeah it reminds me almost of the relationship that uh, Red Bull New York Red Bulls have with uh, RB Salzburg.
1: Yeah, it's, I guess that probably remains to be seen because that's definitely a. F- theater club situation, I actually wonder if this would turn into that simply because the Swiss league isn't as good as Leipzig, you know, in the German league, but yeah, I, sorry, continue. Oh, no,
0: I think you brought up a really good point. It remains to be seen. I mean, he purchased this club in, in 2021. So this yeah. year, and so a lot of it remains to be seen. Um and if you look at who is employed by the Chicago Fire and you look at their C-suite, so all the, all the people who occupy chief executive positions, none of them have the traditional pedigree that you would see in the C-suite. So none of them come from businesses or organizations or clubs that have done this before. So I might expect if the Chicago Fire were really trying to blossom into this club that was going to develop youth talent and drive revenue, you might see somebody as in the chief operating officer who had worked for Borussia Dortmund, or you might find somebody who had worked for AC Milan or some club in Brazil. But a lot of the C-suite appears to be professionals with backgrounds almost unrelated to the sport, and backgrounds even in some cases that are somewhat segregated in private enterprise from what they're trying, from what you would think the Chicago Tri- Fire are trying to do here. And so, the net of all this is. The Chicago Fire do not appear to be a revenue driver. It looks like they're losing revenues year over year. Um, If there is a business model that's present, if there is like a revenue system in place for the Chicago Fire, that revenue model appears to be more oriented towards um, developing talent and selling talent, but they're they're not a revenue driving machine. And certainly for the owner of the Chicago Fire, Joe Mansueto, $77 $77 million in revenue and no profit is not the type of thing that he would get from his past ventures like Morningstar. Um, so this is, this is not the primary revenue source for these guys. Uh, the clubs aren't. And if you go down the list, Sporting Kansas City at $101 million in revenue owned by um, Cliff Illig, um, who founded Cerner, which is a 5.5 billion dollar organization, or even the Philadelphia Union owned by Jay Sugarman? Um, he's the CEO of IStar. They've got they're about 500 million in, in revenue, but million in revenue, but they're a financial business, so you should look at them more in terms of assets under management, which exceed 5 billion. None of these clubs are the primary revenue source. But Ryan, you know a thing about how Major League Soccer is established. Can you tell us a little bit about?
1: Um the ties that these owners have to major league soccer. well, the uh, the league is not you know each club is not owned individually. It's like a franchise system. so everybody is a shareholder of major league soccer. Um, it's a little bit different system than would be set up in the traditional leagues in Europe.
0: Yeah, absolutely. and that- it varies
1: country to country though, obviously.
0: Totally. And what that basically means is that um, the owners of the MLS teams are not subject to just the financial gains and losses of Major League Soccer or uh, of their club, but also Major League Soccer. And I would imagine U.S. Soccer to some extent as well.
1: So. Would that mean they have more or less incentive to compete against one another?
0: It means that they would have
1: less incentive
0: to compete against one another. As the system stands today, their revenues are protected by not having a promotion relegation system. But there's a lot of draws that come with that. And there's more draws that I think... There's more draws experienced by the fan base than there are the investors and owners of the club. Although if the owners were trying to go for big air and actually make some coin off of their club, they would probably be wise to adopt a model that's present in Europe. Um, or at least reflect upon the model that's been established by clubs who are driving the most revenue in the world. So um, go ahead.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, I think that the, um, the part that MLS really stands to gain here because they are giving up protections. Say, say the MLS was like, Hey, yeah, let's go for it. Let's not have our closed league any longer. Let's have promotion to motion. They're giving up, the security that comes with being in that league every single year. So obviously they would need something that's going to give make over that make it over that hump for them.
0: Right, why would I take on this risk? So what's in it for me?
1: The idea is th- if the overall product grows, incorporates more people from different areas, you end up having more customers and the whole pie grows and that pr- starts perpetuating itself, especially because many of the participants are going to be people that you know fans become players potentially are associated with the clubs, have you know long-term interest in the clubs, are identifying with the clubs. and this more so would take will take place in Mattermore on like a localized level. There's a lot of youth soccer in this country already. Uh, there's a lot of lower leagues. Some sort of incorporating them all together would end up creating this larger pie that then more, more people would be able to participate in and the owners of MLS would end up making more than they are now because overall, everything has gotten better. Maybe they're not willing to take that type of risk, but if you're willing to help grow it in the long term, eventually it will get there. But if you're not including as many people as you can on purpose, it's a little bit more difficult to get everybody on board with your plan.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. And it should be noted, like these, like we've said this before, the clubs themselves are not revenue driving machines. For example, the Philadelphia Union, I believe, is valued at about $200 million today, which isn't that much money for for these types of folks. Um if they're able to improve the equity of the club by taking some calculated risk it would probably be a worthwhile move and even if it does lead to some short-term losses i think it would absolutely offer some long-term gains and long-term gains and the interesting thing about all of this is each of the club owners those are the markets that they played in prior to coming to the MLS these are all guys who competed in private enterprise and went from nothing i mean Joe Mansueto founded Morningstar. He took it from probably his parents' basement and turned it into a $1.2 billion financial services company. So if, the, if anyone is equipped to manage competition in private markets, it's these guys. They should be wanting to play to the strengths that they've already developed throughout their lifetime.
1: Yeah, um, and for me, a lot of this is more about I'm going to transition here a little bit out yeah. of uh, specifically talking about, you know, what the, the MLS and the, the MLS owners and why um, it would behoove them to adopt a promotion-to-motion model and more into what I know my general feeling is around U.S. soccer and professional soccer and uh, development in this country. Yep. And I imagine, uh, Alex, you share a lot of these things with me. But in general, I think it is fair to say that competition is good for development. I think it's also true that promotion and demotion encourage is competition. Having jeopardy in each of these situations makes a big difference in terms of people trying to to win all the time. Um, I think a lot of people would agree it's super frustrating in American sports where a team tanks to get a good draft pick or has a long-term plan that makes it so they don't try to be competitive for multiple years because there's no danger in it really because your revenues are not impacted by performance on the field as much as they might be if you were kicked out of the league for underperforming. Uh, So certainly the level of competition would get raised um, by having promotion and demotion. Uh, This is me personally, uh, and I know everybody can, you know, you have your own opinions on this type of thing, but I think that men's pro soccer in the United States exists, not specifically for the development of the uh, U.S. um, program, but there should certainly be an eye on that. And it should be one of the main things that the youth academies are thinking about Uh, the MLS. I don't believe currently lives up to these type of things. Um, Having a closed system to insulate people from competition with one another to ensure consistent revenue is great as a business model. Um, It's not great for developing. Yeah. Yeah, it's safe, but it isn't dynamic as a business model, meaning that, You're not going to be able to make as much money if you don't reach as many people. And if you don't exclude as many different teams from different areas, then you're not going to be able to make as much money. But there needs to be an eye on allowing people to participate and get good that are from all over. Uh, The Christian Kappas situation, for example, when he went to the Dallas Youth Academy, but then was unable to sign with them. For whatever the, you have to go to your area team first. So you would have had to sign for Houston. Yeah. It's the homegrown rule. It's how, how is it that we have rules that inhibit talented players from playing? I, I, I don't even, I, I don't even know where to begin on this. It's, it's ridiculous. A rule like that exists. So
0: I agree. And, you know, like this, the homegrown rules actually, like in the Christian Capus example, is a really important example to look at because oftentimes, you know, when you're creating a business model, you get all your key stakeholders together and you agree on a few principles. But in the famous words of Mike Tyson, everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And one of the best things that private enterprise can do and these owners can do is they they should be contemplating what agreements did we come to that were good for the moment but aren't good today. And if you look at the case of Christian Capus, um, he didn't feature for any MLS club at the professional level. And he's, I mean, I, I think he's likely going to be playing in a top five league in the not too distant future. How much was lost by,
1: by the homegrown rule? I mean, well, and the only assessment we have on that is what transfer Mark says about his transfer from uh, to Brown B most recently, which I think was like $274,000. So, in his specific case, it's not ground shaking amounts of money involved, um, but there is loss when you make these type of decisions, uh, yeah, for me, though, the bigger thing is the inhibiting of people being able to develop for some sort of weird bureaucratic rule. Well, uh, that,
0: to that point, like I, in, when we talk about the addressable market that the MLS could be engaging with, especially in, in the domestic markets, um, It's those types of issues that are preventing U.S. fans from consuming the product. And there are U.S. fans that have nickels and dimes to show up to games, to buy merchandise that aren't doing that. Like there's a reason why I bought a Norwich jersey and a Venice jersey, and it was to reward the clubs who had invested in American talent. And I would venture to guess that they are looking at their e-commerce site to see who's purchasing products from where. And our understanding that if I purchase, if we acquire U.S. players, we generate some merchandise sales from these markets, that might be something that we need to consider. I mean, Um,
1: I think you would be naive to say that it wasn't a consideration for both of those clubs when they made the the acquisitions of those players. I think, yeah. Um, Not that it was the main reason, but just that you would be naive to say that there wasn't any of that going on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and personally, the reason why I'm not out at Chicago Fire Games and purchasing Chicago, purchasing Chicago Fire merch is because I've engaged with the Chicago Fire brand before. And while I hope the club is successful and innovates, it's damn near impossible to, to engage with them. I mean, even the adult leagues that they put on, they're poorly run. They're not well organized. You, every time you spend money with them, you feel like you're getting burnt in some way, shape, or form. I mean, when you go to the games and the team is just embarrassing themselves year over year. It's like, why am I even spending money for this? Um, as a guy who's got a kid on the way, and I certainly hope the child will be interested in soccer, I'm starting to do my investigation on where I can find youth leagues and youth systems to get them involved. And I was looking for a futsal league, for example, a little soccer to play in the winter. There's one location in all of Chicago that I can find affiliated with the Chicago Fire where my child could go play soccer. And it's it's inexcusable. There are... 15 hardwood floors where futsal league could be up. i mean the startup they could be branching out by zip code having representation in each of these local markets to to better the local town or, or better better the product that they're offering their market and i can't tell if it's a calculated decision and they don't want to spend the money and that's why they're not doing it or if they're just incompetent but either way i'm not interested in consuming a shitty product mm-hmm.
1: I'm not sure it's necessarily MS, MLS's responsibility to facilitate that type of thing, but but what you bring up, I believe, does highlight that there's there's an opportunity there, and there, it seems like it for me at least, those type of things are actually best dealt with on a local level, in or grassroots thing. But it's about like being able to turn that right there, because that's the cultural connection, that's the thing that make people identify with the sport and feel invested in it. That transferred into the professional is what really will turn the MLS into the the juggernaut that gives gives people the billionaires get all get more money you know we get a better product to watch people are able to participate more in in soccer um I think the best way to bridge that gap is through some sort of promotion to motion pyramid yeah. because it allows people to have but, you know, skin in the game a little bit. Obviously, the person running the random futsal league may not be the same person that's running the club that is about to get promoted from the fourth, to third division or whatever, but it's still about building like a an overall feeling of, oh, we can participate and we're all kind of in this together working towards something. Um, yeah, I'd like to, I'd really like to see a ton of that. And I do want to note that, you know, MLS under owners are, you know, they're not under... Any obligation to give a shit about what I think? They're about making their money. They're under no obligation to change their setup. You know, just as a U.S. soccer fan is not really under any obligation to support the MLS. Yeah, and, absolutely. And you know, MLS's success is not the same thing as U.S. soccer's success. But I will note that MLS is in a unique position to make a difference, whether that difference is positive or negative. Uh, you know, it's I think up lot- to them. Yeah. yeah. No. And and there has been some positive growth with with the MLS, but at the same time, it's hard to not go. Well, what uh, what are we comparing it to? Um, yeah. I, yeah. I, and I I think one thing that maybe I I need to bring up here. Because I'm way more into the whole picture and I'm not as concerned about, oh, did the fire suck or do they not suck? Um, or from the note you put down here, you know, some fans, they just want to win. And that is, I think, a really, really important part about oh, building yeah. fanhood and whatnot around the clubs themselves. Um, you noted the Ricardo Pepe departure specifically. Oh, it's making FC Dallas fans irate. Yeah, and, and to me, um, I see FCA Dallas as just this overwhelming success because they're they're me doing too. what I like wanna see going on. Like they are investing in their talent, the kids are getting an opportunity, and then once they've met the maximum they can go on the growth curve in that area, they're getting shipped out. And I can understand the fan frustration thinking, Oh man, if we just retain these guys for like a year or two more, we'd have it a- dynasty here we'd be beating everybody's ass all the time um but i think what's important to remember is that individual ricardo pepe would he benefit staying those two years or has he outgrown what fc dallas is able to give him and would be better off leaving and we don't know that for sure you really don't you can never actually measure that type of thing because it's hypotheticals but there's a reason that guys keep moving on, and the m l s if they want to be able to retain these players, which actually is is probably a pretty good thing to be able to do to make more people care for longer. I mean we're just citing how fans are just want to win and get mad about losing these type of players, but they gotta be able to facilitate an environment where the type of development that is needed for these guys, like the bucios and the um i mean even Yeah, Uh, uh, Tanner Tessman, those guys are looking in the mirror thinking legitimately, can I keep getting better here?
0: Well, we talked about this the other day, and um, I I do want to keep talking about Ricardo Pepe and the implications for FC Dallas. But one of the things that the MLS needs to realize and the owners need to realize is it's not about getting these players to play in the league. It's not about money. The result to the owners is like, yeah, it's all about money. Like, uh, and maybe it's not for all of them, but I would imagine it is. Like, if you're a multi-billionaire investing in the sports club, I would I would imagine it's not a plaything, although it could be. It could be like some legacy, but type of thing. But it's it's a it's an investment. Um, if those guys, if your Bucios and your testmans and your peppies are able. To develop at your clubs, and they're able to get better, and that's where the next step is going to be taken. You're going to attract more talent from other leagues, and the MLS is going to become a more desirable league to play in. And so, I think you're right. Like the Ricardo Pepys of the world, they need to they need to transition to other clubs because they can't. They're looking at themselves in the mirror, and they're like, I can't develop here. And those decisions, by the way, those decisions will never be for them. It's never going to be about money. The Christian Politics, the Giovanni Reynas, the Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney's, they don't need the money anymore. You know, like, certainly they care about it, right? And if the MLS were to double their compensation for coming back to their home league, and, you know, the MLS is like, hey, we can get more viewers. If you come back here, we're going to double your wages, maybe they would consider it. But when you're striving to be the best at something, it's less about the money and it's more about where can I take the next step in my career. And if the MLS just got a little bit better, a little bit more competitive, um, could create the system where Ricardo Pepe could take the next step by, be, by remaining in the MLS and being the leading goal scorer in the
1: MLS. Yeah. Um,
0: they could and, certainly do a lot better for themselves.
1: And you know what? Like, who knows? Maybe in the next couple of years, once this, because this pipeline and this consistent couple guys every window moving to Europe, it, it's a new phenomenon. And we haven't seen it like turn over repeatedly yet and i i wonder um what this landscape will look like once the system has kind of had some time to to be what it is now i i feel as if we're going to see um maybe some of the guys that left not leaving right away or maybe in a better way to put it is maybe we're going to even have more guys that are good getting produced to the point where Inevitably more of them are staying. Yeah. Um and that would be great.
0: I would certainly watch more of the MLS if I wasn't watching like a thirty two year old Venezuelan dude. And if it were like yeah. a league that was mostly built off of young talent in the US, I don't care how old they are. I mean I'm sure you could have homegrown talent at 16 to 17 years old, featuring in an an M- an MLS game. If it were that range to 25 to you know to 28 to the veterans who have been here for a long time, to your Jordan Morris's, your Paul Ariolas, and that's who's featured in the league. I'm going to be a lot more interested in consuming it, and a better talent pipeline affords you the ability to do that.
1: Yeah, I um, I mean, I got a, a kind of a hot take because but this is like a a watershed moment kind of thing. I I don't know that the Beckham episode was as much as it was like built up to be. Um, I actually think there was kind of like a, it's like, what is this going to be about now? Is it going to be about glamor and all this stuff? Or is it going to be about like trying to, trying to get kids to care about playing and how to play well. And I'm not sure the Beckham thing gave us everything. Um,
0: are you talking All about right. the Galaxy Beckham thing or the yeah, yeah, uh, Inter the, Miami? No. Oh
1: God, the inter- No, I'm talking about the original like designated player model of trying to bring in foreign talent to put bums in the seats kind of thing. I don't think it worked. To, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, some of the designated players that are around now, I'm just like, what? What's going on? Um, yeah, I, I think it. it I don't want to say it's like they lost their soul when they did it, but it's kind of how I feel. Cause it's more about like, Oh, look at the pretty thing to look at than like, all right, let's get our, you know, shit together get down and get here so in the way. dirt and learn yeah. how to train players to be better. Um, and I get that, you know, you got to drive revenue to stuff and it's all about, all about uh, being able to be sustainable and there needs to be money and need to do any of the things that I want to be able to do with in soccer in this country. Um, but I think it should be more about how it's played, and not, you know, how much, how much money is is involved in that being the determining factor. Because, well, like you said, kids don't. You know, the the guys might not come back just because if you throw a bunch of extra money at them. You're about it's about achieving. When you're a kid, when I was when I was a kid, Alexi, watching you in the '94 World Cup, I wasn't thinking about how much money you made, man. I wasn't. Right. right.
0: Um. Yeah, I was thinking about that fucking sweet goatee and that bicycle kick. <laughs> yeah. Um. No, I it, like. Uh, you're right about the uh, about all this. Um. I just, you know, I want to tune back into uh, Ricardo Ricardo Pepe and the, uh, the frustration that the FC Dallas fans are facing, and it's the right move for Pepe. More than likely because he can't get that level of, of experience in the MLS, but it's also the right move for FC Dallas. The Ricardo Pepe transfer could very well account for about 20% of FC Dallas's revenues. And if you look at what happened in Sporting KC, um, they were pro- they were profitable. They had like $5 million in profit and Bucio sold for like $7 million. And so... You, it's almost like with FC Dallas, you can see a big part of their revenue model is based off of the development of talent. And um, I, I hope for the fans that love the MLS and just want their team to be competitive, that MLS owners will build something that's worth sticking around for, so those teams can have like a little bit of like legacy. And it's almost like that feel in the EPL, it's where it's like where you're like, oh man. Everton really sucks. Uh, they really need to like go out and get a better midfield and it's like, oh yeah, we got Allen and Decore and like those are good signings and you just you kind of feel like the organization is responding to the needs that it has instead of just doing whatever it needs to do without any consequence of being for, for being horrible to um to actually take the next step forward.
1: Yeah. Um you know what I'd like to actually hear from now is a Dortmund fan of some kind. Cause they just deal with this revolving door like all the time. Um, and I don't know if they freak out in the same capacity as, you know, this, this kid leaving, um, FC Dallas fans, Ricardo Pepe might be like, you know, the most legendary guy that you guys ever produced. So, you know, it, it might be awesome.
0: He might be um, the most legendary guy that the MLS well, yeah, to produce. Who knows? I mean, Tyler Adams is up there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think um, that left back on Byron might take the cake right now, but. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, good call, Alfonso Davies. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Just maybe. Yeah, that's a good call. No, but uh, I, I think that the, the Dortmund thing's interesting because they just are, you know, constantly churning out the talent and selling it and whatnot. And uh, they still have tons of fans coming to the games. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I don't know what their fans feel, though, about them being a selling club in the manner that they are. I know they got pissed when Lewandowski left, but that's a long time ago, and it was on a free, and it was to Bayern. So it's kind of, a, we're talking about different things here about why they're mad, not just the selling of good players in general and not remaining competitive, which they obviously are, have been doing for 10 years now or whatever. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, the yeah. interesting the interesting thing about Bayern, or about Dortmund is like they're a public company and so like their decisions and the moves that they make are all publicly disclosed and their financials are publicly disclosed and everything that they have to do is of the interests of the shareholders of the club and um, the frustrating thing about what's going on in these MLS clubs is that they're the revenue streams are tied to so many other things like the clubs are tied to MLS, which is tied to US soccer, and so you don't really see the paper trail. I wish I could sit here and understand that for each of the MLS owners, these are your KPIs. You're, if you do this, this, and this, you're inherently going to generate more revenue. But because the trail goes cold somewhere after the club's financials, I have no idea how to say, yeah, definitely, If you, these are your KPIs, and if you prove improve XYZ, you're going to have a better product, which is why I'm left saying... The most logical thing you could do is to replicate the leagues that have been successful and create more competitiveness to drive innovation and to drive the market internally. Take risk, take calculated risk for a substantially larger piece of the pie. But that's what I think of when you bring up Dortmund. I, it, yeah. they're, they're, everything is so transparent. Mm-hmm. And it's so good because it's so and transparent. I mean, it's, private, right. it's private enterprise meeting sports. And it's in one of the best ways I think you, it, it could be done.
1: Yeah, uh, they're definitely an interesting model. That's for sure. The having the fifty plus one rule also adds a wrinkle to this that is not something we would find in the U.S. sports market, though. So well, a
0: lot of the, uh, many of the uh, European teams have that, and the fifty plus one rule is basically it's about the equity of the club and how the club operates and makes decisions, isn't it?
1: Yeah, at least uh, fifty plus one percent of the controlling shares must be handled. I think it's like in. In some capacity, by um, by members of the club, so it can't just be like investment capital. It has to be like actual club members that have then have voting rights, uh, and and that's in Germany specifically. They don't have that in England. They were bemoaning that throughout the spring because of what happened with the Super League and and whatnot. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's mostly Germany that does it like that so if it, it, it just presents like a unique situation that isn't necessarily you know able to be translated here so
0: it would seem it would seem that in closing our message to mls owners is create a promotion uh relegation system you're going to drive more competitiveness it's going to enhance uh your ability to capture market share and enhance your addressable market and you know, the market is yeah, actually engaged. I think, uh,
1: the addressable market thing, I think, is the big point is like you can you can reach more people by allowing more people to participate promotion to motion with all the enhancement of competition does allow more people to participate and have a vested interest. Well, and in also general, the- that yeah. will grow a greater consciousness around the game and pe- more people spending money in it if well, you want it if you want it build the mls soccer pyramid i'm and with then you, you guys will have something
0: well and it's also like the way that the the ownership in the league and the way that the mls is set up that it's like one ship uh uh high tides raise, raise all ships is that the quote
1: i have heard of that quote before yeah
0: yes but that's the that's the operating philosophy it's like If the, based on how the MLS is formed and who's got ownership in the MLS and the MLS having its own revenues, if the MLS is successful as a whole, then all the owners are somewhat successful as well. Yeah. Um, So the alternative is hold on to your money and wait for the Super League to come back and then pay to join the Super League. (laughs) Yeah, that's actually,
1: (laughs) that's the savvy play. That's the Uh, inter-Miami play. It probably is the Enter miami play. Um, uh, what a note.
0: Well, well anyways, you, you heard our take. We hope it happens for the competitive competitiveness of the game, um, for the homegrown talent, for the MLS owners, and for the super fans of MLS teams that just want their team to win and find ways to win. Um, Ryan, any closing remarks?
1: Um, yeah. And this is almost like a, you know, I'll just ask. MLS, a question. Um, you know, how are you guys going to become the most popularly viewed league in the United States?
0: Because that
1: is Liga MX today, isn't it? It is. So you should probably figure out how to, you know, be the number one viewed one <laughs> in your own country.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree. It's a good problem to try to solve um All right, y'all. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for dealing with us through this pod. Uh, we had fun talking about it. And based on the feedback that we get from the community, we might do another iteration or we might is- disappear offline entirely. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Ryan, this was a fun chat. Yeah. Good all night. Right. Talk soon.